Welcome to What the Hell is Economics, the podcast where we encourage you to stimulate your inner GDP and understand what the fudge fiscal policy actually is, without using any Latin words or graphs, because you can't see them. It's a podcast. My dad, Dr. Jared Lyons, is an economist. He gives lectures. But only when asked. He's not a nuisance. I am Elf Lyons, according to one newspaper, an ungainly, absurdist female comedian with very long arms. My dad thinks economics is awesome. Because he thinks it's awesome, I think it is awesome. But not everyone agrees. Some people think it is bloody boring and complicated. But we are here to prove otherwise. Welcome to What the Hell is Economics? Hello, Dad. Hello, eldest daughter. Hello. Um, So we are going to be talking about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in our first episode of What the Hell is Economics? Could you tell the listener about what we're going to be talking about in this episode? Yeah, well, we're going to talk about the success of the Fringe, what really makes it tick, its open access. We're going to talk about the problems and the challenges, in particular, the lack of infrastructure, not enough accommodation, and also actually not enough transport links even from Glasgow to Edinburgh. In recent years, people used to use Glasgow as an overflow to Edinburgh, so lack of infrastructure. And then also we're going to highlight the fact that the comedians, because comedy really is at the heart of the fringe, why the comedians are the best embodiment of the free market system. Fantastic. We're also going to probably touch on about how you can have the most incredible Edinburgh of your life and sell out every single day and have a million five-star reviews and still make a loss of about £1,000. That's amazing, isn't it? To be a success, but to only lose £1,000 or so over the fringe. Yeah, what many people do not understand. But um, before we get started, could you clarify for the listener, but also for me, what is the free market? Yeah, well, there's many different definitions. I'll keep it simple. But in a nutshell, it's about letting the market mechanism work properly. So there's not any impediments to who wants to come and supply. And there's no blockages to who wants to come and demand. So performers can turn up. It's the open access aspect. Anyone can come up and go because they they can pay money or they go for free to the open fringe. And so it's unimpeded demand and supply and price dictates. And there's real competition as one person tries to compete against another to make sure that more people come to watch him, her or they. And everyone has a choice in the free market. That's the key thing. So during August, Edinburgh has the following. It has the Art Festival, it has the International Festival, it has the Festival Fringe, it has the International Film Festival, the International Book Festival and the International Science Festival. But we are going to be focusing on the Festival Fringe because that is the one that you have had to come and you have to support all my shows and tell me that I'm funny. Or in some cases, you once read me my two-star review from The Times over the phone because I couldn't read it because it was behind a paywall, which that shows you what family love is. But you also always make us stand by the Adam Smith statue and get a picture taken every single year. That's correct. Adam Smith, in case people don't know, is known as the father of economics and he is from Scotland and his statue is there on the Royal Mile and he wrote some famous books, The Wealth of Nations, back in 1776 about the invisible hand, but also the theory of moral sentiments about morals and ethics. What I've always found interesting, as I've said to you about the fringe, is particularly when one goes to the comedy sections, how you have the combination of usually left-wing comedians, and it's the free market principles of the fringe, which have really worked pretty well up until recent years, is a testimony to Adam Smith and his book, The Wealth of Nations, because it's about how people act 
in their own self-interest. So I always have my picture taken, or usually have it taken by Adam Smith. He was also quite bonkers, wasn't he? Well, maybe, maybe. But he's he known did... for talking to himself. <laughs> yeah. But you do that. Yes, occasionally. Now, you're going to go to Edinburgh because you've been to Edinburgh so many times and you've seen so many shows. What type of show are you going to do? Where are you going to do it? And how are you going to market your show? I would do a show on the economics, of course. And then I would flyer it next to Adam Smith on the Royal Mile and say, this is Adam Smith, and he would have come to my show if he was still alive. And people would probably walk past me and look at the next comedian or whoever. So you would be at a financial loss. <laughs> yes. Um, would you? So you do your own marketing then? So you wouldn't pay for flyers, you'd flyer it yourself? Yeah, well, actually, this is really interesting, isn't it? The cost of actually going to the fringe. You have to register. What's mm-hmm. that? Two, three hundred pounds? Two hundred and fifty to three hundred pounds, yeah. Then you your living expenses. Yeah, which and is... if you some people can live expensively and others not so expensively. Or everyone lives expensively unless you've made a deal with the devil. And then there's the accommodation, which is as far as I can make out the Hell. real killer now. In the past, accommodation apparently used to be really cheap, but now the fringe has become so successful accommodation is more expensive. Yeah. So now, for example, me going to Edinburgh this year, which will be my 13th year at the Edinburgh mm-hmm. Festival. I'm doing two shows at one of the big four, as it were. I've finally been told, because I'm in, in venues over 150 seaters, I am now likely to not make a loss. So mum and I will be there with 148 other people then? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or it'll change. just be you two. <laughs> okay. We're not going to be there for the whole of the fringe, though. Just that, I mean, that would be worse than the Edinburgh comedy. No offence, I love you both dearly. You're the main reason I don't get scurvy during the festival, because you come up and make sure I've eaten. But my accommodation costs are... I'm living in a flat which can only be described as a gothic sex den and not in a nice way. It looks like a venereal disease that's carpeted. And I am paying £1,400 for one bedroom. And we, I, me and my mate, we've not gone for anywhere flashy. We're just two people in our 30s who've gone, we cannot sleep on a linoleum floor in a kitchen again. I've done that. I got nits. I don't need to do that anymore. So landlords are doing well, like in the rest of the country. Yeah. So there's registration, there's the accommodation, mm-hmm. there's your living expenses as well. Then there's tech. What's that? Tech. So if you're on free fringe and you want someone to take your show every day, you'd probably pay them 20 quid. In Edinburgh... And they do get paid... a round of applause at the end of the show as well. If they're good. <laughs> yeah, they're good. Um, and again, the paid fringe, probably about the same, maybe a tiny bit more. Okay. So, and then there's the venue fee as well. Yeah. So you that, have talk to, me through the venue so fee. if you want to book to travel up to Edinburgh and you go by train because you don't want to watch the planet burn, you're obviously going to have to book uh, probably about five years in advance to get a train ticket to Edinburgh, especially if you just don't want a toilet facing seat because otherwise you've got to have that seat where you just watch a young mum with a child have a breakdown by the disabled loser as she presses the button the whole way through. You have to book your tickets. So transport there and back to Edinburgh, if you're coming from London, about 160 quid, okay? Then you've got your flat, £1,500 for a cupboard room with a tiny bed in it and a really friendly mouse. Rat, if you're lucky. And it's up about 3,000 flights of stairs because Edinburgh is Do you want to bring our cat with you to Edinburgh this year? Edinburgh is made by the team that designed Jim Henson's The Labyrinth. Then you've got your PR because if you want to get any attention in the run-up to Edinburgh, 
without having to hustle and do it all yourself whilst also trying to make your show ready, that's about £2,500, okay? So that person then writes a press release for you, sends it out. Then you've obviously got your venue. So if you're going for free fringe, you don't have to pay. But then obviously the risk with free fringe is that you don't have the same sort of choice and negotiation freedom with what type of room you get, where you get it. So you can be really lucky like I was when I got the voodoo rooms, which is like a perfectly great working theatre space. Or you can end up with somewhere like Free Sisters where you are literally in a tent in a beer garden with complete sound bleed. But then you get to keep all the door money. But then the audience think that they're entitled to not have to pay you necessarily because they're like, well, it's free, cognitive dissonance. If it's free, the show's probably worth nothing. I don't need to give you any money. I remember when you first did one of your comedy things at Curtain Place. Comedy things, my shows, my shows. profession, Father. And yep. I said, you need to charge people. And you said, no, I want everyone to come in for free. And I said, once you start charging, then people will put a value on it. Mm-hmm. And then but, um, but the first time you charged... And I said, how did it go? You said loads of people came. That wasn't in Edinburgh, but the same principle works in the sense you're right. People pass the bucket around and we always insist on putting, well, we always put money in. But then, of course, some people go and they don't have any money. Yeah, so, so it's it perfect. What, for, I mean, yeah. it's perfect to get young student audiences yeah, who simply absolutely. just don't have any. So it's risk versus what type of comedian, what type of artist do you want to be and what do you actually want to do? Are you going there because you're brand new and you want to get better so or are you going there stage, because yeah. you, you know, you're making the next progression? So I think for any new emerging act, the free fringe is absolutely categorically where you need to be going. Or you've got your paid fringe, in which case, if you're at one of the big four, Assembly, Pleasance, Underbelly, Gilded Balloon, you're looking at paying 40% upfront to the venue of what ticket sales would be if you were selling at approximately 60% capacity. So that is a lot of money. You have to pay them that regardless of whether or not you make a loss or if you sell that. So because audiences really vary throughout the fringe, you're very rarely going to make a profit especially then if you add on top that you've got a tour management company who then do and pay and charge you on top of that it's really interesting you mentioned these big four venues because the fragmentation as it was called of the fringe only really happened in 2008 when it was split between Pleasance, Underbelly, Gilded Balloon and Assembly. But if you go back to the origins of the fringe, it really does fit with that point I made at the beginning about the free market system, because Edinburgh Festival was originally created in 1947, just after the Second World War, by an Austrian called Rudolf Bing. Mm-hmm. But a number of acts were not seen as highbrow enough, and they were called the Uninvited Eight. So they separately performed and that became the original fringe in 1947 and what we saw afterwards was very much as Adam Smith would have mentioned in the Wealth of Nations it was about people bringing their own works actually competing with one another and the thing I found really interesting as I was saying to you many years ago first few years I went we found all the comedians were really left-wing but their success was really a consequence of the free market system they were embracing. They were all trying to sell their tickets. They were competing with one another. They were doing it in their own self-interest. And collectively, this is what made the fringe really buoyant and successful. But then you might ask, why is it run into difficulty? After 2008, that separation made it more fragmented. People said it became more corporatist. And the infrastructure hasn't really developed as it should do with transport etc to really mirror the success of it but you have the free market economists really being mirrored by the comedians who are really 
in some respects, embracing it without maybe so always Thatcher realizing it. So would really like the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah, I'm not sure if she ever went or whether. whether. I mean, what type of show would she put on? <laughs> that is an image. Yes, but, but anyway. Do you think you could be lefty and be pro free market? Yeah, well, the free market shouldn't be associated with one political ideology at all. It's really about making sure that the outcomes are the right ones and not addressing vested interests. When one looks at the success of the fringe, it's really been the three A's, accessible, alternative and affordable. The market mechanism ensures the accessibility, the barriers to entry are low and the affordability comes with that. The alternative requires the comedians like you to step up to the plate. It naturally, I do think there's this weird subconscious of the idea that the free fringe is lefty and that the corporate big four are right. Like it's slightly conservative to go for the big four. But, and I think there is this weird subconscious guilt in performers when you choose to go for a paid fringe venue. Because there's this weird, there's still this sort of snobbery that I don't think should exist that going to a paid fringe show shows an improvement in your success as a comic. It seems like a step up when obviously I don't think it is. It's about what your needs are, are as an artist. But I do think there's this weird subconscious guilt about choosing to go to a paid fringe venue, especially because you're sort of making it very clear to everyone that you are risking a further financial knock that some people might not be able to afford themselves. Yeah, if you look at the economy, public versus private, it doesn't mean that private is always better than public or vice versa. Bits of both work very well. It depends what one's talking about. The interesting thing, if you look at the fringe, is how important it is, everyone says, to the Edinburgh and Scottish economy, which is true. But when you actually think about the creative sector as a whole, it's phenomenally important for the UK economy. I would say globally, the countries that succeed need to have one of the three C's. Cash, commodities or creativity. Cash is the financial resources. Commodities is the natural resources. Creativity is the sort of human resources, the ability to actually leverage off the ingenuity, the creativity of a people. And UK actually really does have that in multiple amounts. Back in 2017, there was something called the Basil Jet Independent Review of the Creative Sector. And it highlighted what a success story it was for the UK. How at that time, the creative sector was generating jobs at twice the speed of the rest of the economy. Why its economic impact was growing. And also, importantly, how by 2030, it was likely to generate an extra 1 million jobs. And even though the creative sector was really big and powerful and successful across the UK, what was really interesting was that the Edinburgh Fringe was the real embodiment of its success. Of mm -hmm. course, the pandemic has hit the creative sector hard. But in terms of the solutions to the Fringe, one of the things that came out from the pandemic and you were an example of this, was how people made use of online. And mm -hmm. online really had no barriers to entry. And there was instant customer reaction, a quality control. Yep. Some people say the fringe is so expensive. Is it possible for the fringe to actually do anything online? I would imagine that it would lose well, they, its vibrancy. They, they did do free stuff online during uh, in 2021. Yeah. And lots of free shows. But I mean, from the sounds of it, it sounded very hard to manage. And you've sort of hit a point on the head because... I get really fed up with people who are like, oh my goodness, have you been to Edinburgh? Have you gone to the Edinburgh Fringe? Thinking it's like this sweet little hobby you go up and do for a few days and you just see one famous show and then you book a really nice restaurant. And for some people, that's what their Fringe experience is. We went to go and see Michael McIntyre and then we went to the Witchery or Warlockery or wherever, or the Battery or wherever that weird place is that everyone tries to get a dinner to. I found that so there is this pressure for acts to go because it is where you go to get discovered. 
And it is. It's a trade for, especially for alternative comics like myself and other slightly more avant-garde performers, we tend to do much better than, than we would on the contemporary circuit, traditional circuit. And for us, it's where we can guarantee our tours internationally and around the UK. So for me, as that type of artist, I love The Fringe because also you get to see all the other weirdos in one place and it's where you go to not just perfect your own craft, but get to watch other artists at the absolute top of their game. Like It's so fun. But there's this pressure to go to be discovered because all the big industry in comedy is situated in London. And you were saying during lockdown, so many acts stepped up and did amazing, you know, they were using TikTok, they were using Instagram, they were using Twitch, they were doing Zoom gigs. There were so many opportunities for the industry and for the press and for management to see acts outside of London and to make that leap just through logging in to discover someone. And I don't think they really took advantage of that. Some people obviously did, but you still have a huge amount of acts around the UK who aren't based in London or based in the key cities who weren't supported in that time, who feel obligated to make huge financial sacrifices to go up to Edinburgh for the sake of being discovered. And I think the pressure to go to Edinburgh especially now with the cost of living crisis, is even more monumental to those artists. And I think the industry has, in an extent, a, a little to blame for that because they could have done so much more in the run-up to it. Well, if you actually look at it, in any industry, the incumbents, the ones who are established, don't mind if costs increase or bureaucracy and barriers to entry increase because it safeguards their position. What one needs to focus on in terms of making Edinburgh continue to be successful is to make sure it doesn't become a regulated, overly regulated area, that the costs to entry don't become too high. Because what you want is for it to retain or return to its vibrancy where there's lots of new entrants, where it's a conduit for young talent. And therefore, the free fringe needs to become centre stage in some respects. Mm -hmm. But it's about addressing those costs and actually making sure that when people actually go at the end of the day, they're incentivised to actually go and watch the new talent. Take a risk sometimes, but you can't tell people to take risks because if they go up there, they've paid their money. They often, they as want you to go said, for a safe bet. They yeah. go for the safe bet. Well, I was thinking about this, Dad, before we did this podcast, because some people were saying we need to regulate, and people were like we need some regulation which is their way of saying, we don't want to sound like we want to ruin everybody's fun, but we do sort of want to. It's like when, you know, when you're having a birthday party and you want, you're like, I want everybody to come, but you know you can only fit 50 people and you have to be really picky about who's who you're inviting and you can't let plus ones in. And then you have to be that annoying person going, I can't really invite this person, this person, this person. Nobody wants to be that person, but you kind of have to be in order for it to all run effectively with regulation for the fringe because it's too big at the moment. So it's not the stars aren't going to share their audiences, no. are they? Well, what you should do, this is the rules. Okay. I don't think anyone who wants to do a one-man version of Edgar Allan Poe's life story should be allowed to go to Edinburgh. That knocks off about 15 shows. Any 1920s production of a Shakespeare? No. So again, we've knocked off about 60 shows there. Any dark gothic retelling of Alice in Wonderland? Absolutely not. Can I request no one talks about their breakups either? That would knock half the shows off as well, surely. Yeah, no one is allowed to talk about heartbreak because we don't want that anymore. So again, about 1,000 shows knocked off from there. And more I think, economics. And more 
economics. And I think that way you're encouraging people to be innovative and we're just helping make things better. One thing I want to say, because I was getting into a few Twitter spats from people going, I can't believe people are so disgusting. They're so horrible. They're charging this much. And I just want to live on the Royal Mile for one month during Edinburgh. And they're telling me it's this much money. And then the landlords are telling me, if you want it to be cheaper, you should live further out. How dare they? No, 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 no. And I was thinking, without being too provocative, like, isn't this simply the free market in action reaccommodation like the landlords yeah i don't think it's morally right but can we not understand where it comes from it's demand and supply there's a limited amount of supply in central edinburgh although some people do let out their cupboard space it seems for the month of august but in terms of demand it's the success of the fringe that demand is so high performers and visitors so the price will naturally go higher now what can you do therefore increase the amount of supply in different ways. Obviously, you can't build lots of things overnight. We can't go down the route of Glastonbury where suddenly everyone starts pitching their tent up in the centre at Edinburgh because that might work for four days, but it doesn't work for four weeks. I would say the transport system needs to actually provide a solution. The Fringe Festival might want to work on providing free buses that go on the central routes out of Edinburgh. So suddenly people at all hours of the day and night can get out further out and then there's accommodation on the outskirts or Glasgow. I noticed that in the open letters to the Fringe Society this year there were worries about the reduction in train services between Glasgow and Edinburgh. Glasgow obviously the second city of Scotland, what's it, 40 minutes away from Edinburgh. That in some respects has become an overflow place in the sense that people have used that as an accommodation. So accommodation can be addressed through the transport system but I guess there needs to be some rating in your mind of the accommodation available so people have an idea of whether it's A rating, B rating, C rating or D rating yeah. so in terms of a quality control. And also just more freedom and flexibility on ven- on how long short-term lengths like obviously most people are renting for the full month but actually there should be more places which are just for four nights or a week or two weeks because I think because they're so it's so difficult to find accommodation now people feel compelled to do the whole month when they could only they only need to maybe do one week of a mixed bill show comedians become like rats in Edinburgh it'll be like 32 people to a two-bedroom apartment that's the only way you can do it so your quality of life during that one month becomes very um why can't the fringe become a shorter span? Because part of the problem seems to be the longevity of it, not longevity of being going for 75 years, but the fact it goes on for four weeks. Well, that would increase costs even more, wouldn't it, if you suddenly had two weeks and you had that many people fighting for only two weeks? So you think... Yeah. I would think it would make it even worse. Yeah, okay. You have to have that month because at least it gives some people some freedom to be like, I want to do my one-man telling off the creation of Monopoly for two nights as opposed to nine. Right, one of the issues this year with the Fringe has been the absence of the app. Yeah. Because accessibility Preach. to the audience. Now, is You that... love an app. Yes. You've got about 50 million on your phone. You've got CoStar, you've got Field, you've got Hinge, you've got Tinder. <laughs> he doesn't know what any of these apps are, which is just really amusing. You're nodding along, bless you. But, but everyone's very friendly on them. <laughs> yeah, they are. They love it when you talk to them about fiscal responsibility, don't they? Yes. Um, 
But yes, you you absolutely love the Fringe app during Edinburgh. You're like, oh, look, there's this one-man show about the history of Adam Smith. I, oh, wait, it's me. Why but I did read that? the open letter from the Live Comedy Association and yeah. the Fringe's response. What did you think of that? What was interesting was that, well, the Fringe, they got a million pound loan a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and a million fund last year. But this year they got £1.57 million pounds from the Scottish government, but they spent £1.275 million in giving it to venues. They had to apply for it, but they went to venues like Assembly, Just the Tonic, Pleasance, big names. Some of the big four, yeah. Yeah. Some of those got asked for it to make themselves accessible for e-tickets. But yet they could have put the 100,000 to 200,000 needed for the daily Fringe app. And they decided this year not to have the Fringe app. And I thought that that's where they should have spent the money because being able to generate speed at the moment on the day sales is key for many of these acts you've talked about on the fringe itself yeah, and, the book and not is on so the free outdated. fringe the book yeah. is so it's not practical now nobody walks around with that massive big brochure or they said it's e so you go online but then then you need to have accessibility to the, the internet, internet yeah. and all that it, it it seems to favor the vested interests of the big venues because you buy your tickets all in one place big, yeah but will all the comedians who are left wing continue to embrace the free fringe and the market mechanism in the future and continue to compete or will they start to redistribute their earnings from their shows to the guys down the road who haven't had many people turn up to their shows i wonder what the answer to that is I don't think anyone would want to answer that. I think there would be a lot of saying that, though. Most comedians do pay tickets to see each other's shows, though, though there is they a lot are, of questions. It is support. a nice camaraderie. I grant you that. But I think what you will see happen, which is what is currently going on, is that more focus on smaller festivals. Vault Festival in London, the Camden Fringe, Mac Fest, Comedy Festival in Aberystwyth. There are more festivals opening up in other cities. I think you're going to see more smaller festivals emerging and more smaller regional acts going you know what I'm going to really focus on nurturing the comedy talent I have in my area and I think potentially hopefully the industry will realize and spend more time rather than traveling up to Edinburgh for one month traveling around the UK to see more talent that would be the goal if you want to be good at selling your show in Edinburgh One, you've got to invest in phenomenal photographs. You don't go for black and white because they won't come up in print. You go for strong primary colours, okay, with a strong white background. You're more likely to be picked for a newspaper for imagery with that. You make sure that you don't just do a show about me growing up on my own, in my family, me being someone in my 20s, not knowing who I am. No, you go for something that is currently on everyone's lips. So you'll see some people commodifying a particular political movement or picking an issue and going, I'm going to run with that or try and make it my own. So... I've written about polyamory because I've talked about that in my shows. Go for the oddest, most obscure angle that nobody would expect because that is what any press would want you to write about. The PR can't just do the work for you. You've got to give them something to sell. So you've really got to work out how do you sell yourself? What is your unique brand? So for me this year, doing a show about horror and Stephen King. I've made it niche, but it means my niche audience will come and see me because no one else is doing a show of that style. You have to constantly, and it can be quite soul-destroying as an artist who's also your product is yourself, of working out what makes me unique from a corporate money-grabbing angle. As a commodity, how can I sell myself? 
And that is one of the most difficult parts of it. And you can see people doing it very, very badly or not being able to do it properly at all. Just being you is not enough. You're always positive when you talk to me about other comedians. I never hear you slag them off. Why do comedians not form a trade union? There is a true trade. Well, that's the Life Comedy Association. But unfortunately, I think, like you said, the issue with our industry is trade unions don't always work. Because if one person drops out of a gig because there's no money, someone else will take it. It's very hard to make improvements in an industry where everyone's desperate to swim to the top. I'm finding it interesting, which is why we picked this as our first topic for the podcast when we decided one day to do this as a team, that all the press at the moment about the Edinburgh Festival is very negative. It's not really focusing on the positives, on the fun, on the beauty, the collective hard work of all the artists, all the creativity. It's just focusing on all the negatives, the spiralling costs, um, the losses. Where does this come from? Is there an actual statistic that is showing us right now that Edinburgh Fringe Festival has something to worry about? I think it's because we're seeing a cost of living crisis across the whole economy and therefore talking about the costs of Edinburgh fits in with that narrative which is centre stage on all newspapers and most media groups. But in actual fact, when you drill into the stories and go back on the internet, you see many of these stories were identified 2012, 2013. They've been around for a long time. So in some respects, a decade ago, the challenges were identified. Now, one could argue that they've not been addressed. But really, it's a consequence of the size, the scale, the success, the lack of infrastructure, and the increased corporatist nature in the sense of those big venues dominating the scene. It's interesting. It's gone from being the performers who are ultimately benefiting, to the challenge being the producers, i.e. the venue owners, and the landlords who seem to be the ones who are benefiting. When we look at Edinburgh, there are so many competing parts, as you touched on at the very beginning. Is it really sensible for all these different events to be taking place in one city at the same time? Do the people who go to the Fringe ever go to the Book Festival? Do they go to the International Festival? Is it sensible for the Fringe to actually think, why don't we actually decide to go July next year? We would just have the Fringe. Why does the Fringe not think differently? I think July would be lovely. I like that. The change needs to be triggered by the performers themselves because the audiences are still coming, so it's a successful festival. What we're talking about in Edinburgh is the pie has got bigger. It's how you divide the pie and who grabs the biggest slice of the pie. And what we want to see, it seems, is the performers, coming back to your point, grabbing the bigger slice of the pie. Although if we had the data, it would probably be the case that quite a few performers do get quite a big portion of the pie. Mm -hmm. It's that there's so many performers who'd like to grab a big part of the pie, but they can't for whatever reason. It feels like industrial action would need to take place, but to encourage a whole group of people who are competing against each other to all for the greater good and not go to the Edinburgh Festival next year, I'd be intrigued to see if anyone would take up on that. If you enjoyed listening to that podcast, and I really hope you did, because it was incredibly stressful to make, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at what the hell is economics at WTH Economics Pod. And you can subscribe to us on wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow me and my dad on Twitter at elf underscore lions and Dr. Jared Lyons. And in the next one, we talk about the really uncontroversial topic of pay. 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 pay.